Thanks, Les, for that Bible reading, but also thank you for your honesty. Um, I really admire it. And I hope that by the end of this sermon, yourself, but also everyone here can remember the hope that we can have in Jesus. How about I pray? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that we can gather here and um, we thank you for today. And Father, we just pray that you help us to be listening to you. Uh, learn something new from your word, that your spirit will be upon us, opening our hearts and our minds. And Lord, help me to speak in a way that brings honour and glory to you and to um, do your truth justice. And I do pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well, I'm sure you've heard the saying, you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. Often it's said to recognise the power and the influence and connection that we have to our families. Um, The way a child turns out in life is dependent on a variety of factors. I mean, families can have a big influence on us. We all know that. I mean, think about today. It's Mother's Day. And depending on how you feel about your families, this can either be a, a really great day, or maybe this is a really hard day for you. But there can also be another factor that can influence our kids. I mean, some people use the nature versus nurture argument. Um, We can inherit the best and worst parts of our families. Sometimes we can blame our bad traits on our family or our upbringing. However, at the end of the day, it's the responsibility and choices of how we respond to this. Sometimes we easily just say, well, I'm just born this way. It's always been this way. I can't change. Today we're going to look at Ezekiel 18 And we see that the Jewish people then had this sort of similar excuse of blaming their family before them. And so they had this kind of proverb they quoted a lot back in ancient times, and it'll be up on the screen. It's about grapes. It says, the parents eat sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. When I read this, I was like, what on earth does that mean? Well, more or less, it means the children will suffer for the sins of the parent. Now, this may have been quoted a lot due to the situation the Jews were in. You know, if we think about the context briefly, this is going to help us a lot in understanding this passage. You see, back in the book of Deuteronomy, God made clear the nation of Israel, they will be blessed as a whole if they obey, but they will also be cursed if they disobey. And there's this kind of communal factor of the punishment for their sins, and we see that with their exile and God's judgment. Now that many years have passed, some of these Jews have had descendants and they've been using that sour grape proverb to justify the situation that they're in. And they're even arguing, saying, God's unjust. He's not fair. Why should we have to suffer for our parents' sin? But you would have noticed at the very start of the Bible reading that Les brought us, it says in verses 3 to 4, As surely as I live, declares the Sovereign Lord, you will no longer quote this proverb. In Israel, for everyone belongs to me, the parent as well as the child, both alike belong to me. The one who sins is the one who will die. As clear as crystal, the passage tells us that we are all accountable for what we do before God. So, firstly, making excuses for not being accountable. We see the Israelites made many excuses for not taking responsibility and accountability for their choices. As I've already mentioned, they were making that argument that because my ancestors have sinned, well, this is why I've ended up here. This is why we're in exile. 
And they're going to face God's judgment because of their ancestors. That's their excuse. However, we know from the book of Ezekiel that the Jews have actually just been continuing in their sin, even in exile. I mean, kind of one of the big points for them was to really be turning around during this time. And like, as John preached to us last week, you know, we saw the, the action sermon of Ezekiel uh, and the cooking of poo and all that kind of stuff. A bit weird, I know. But actually, if you weren't here, maybe you should listen to that sermon so you understand where I'm coming from. Um, but we see like Ezekiel's coming because people need to turn back to God. Then they haven't changed. And so, you know, for example, the Jews were right to recognise that, yes, they are one and that the sin can impact on a communal level. But they're now using this as a a potential excuse to remain in sin. And this sin is going to lead to judgment and eventually lead to death. You know, sometimes we can make excuses for not being accountable to God ourselves. You know, when we think about heaven or hell and where we're going, most of us will happily agree that, well, heaven sounds like the place to be. That's where I want to be. I don't want to go to hell. But to get into heaven, I mean, people can fool themselves into thinking, well, I'm not that bad. I'm not as bad as my my parents, my upbringing. I'm a good person. I've never done anything that bad. Like, I've I've never killed someone. Sometimes we can use our families, as I've said, as an excuse for not choosing to take responsibility. Maybe you've just had a really hard life. Maybe it's been a terrible upbringing. Or maybe we can think, if I do enough good, it will outweigh the bad things I've done. But this is no different to the Jews of the passage. They were making that excuse that they didn't have to take accountability for their sins. So why making excuses doesn't work is because we are very much responsible For what we do, we are responsible for our sins, the times that we fail to meet God's expectations. We're all going to need to stand before God one day and we have to give an account for our life. We cannot pass the buck on our choices. This brings me to my next point. We are responsible and accountable before God. There's a key line in this passage and it just appears a few times and Les even said it before he read the Bible. And we need to pay special attention to it. It says, the one who sins is the one who will die. This is said in the passage to make abundantly clear that the Jews and us are very much responsible for our actions. What we do and what we don't do for God as well. And then Ezekiel kind of takes us on a bit of a hypothetical situation where we look at three generations of a family. And so we see in verses 5 to 9 that Firstly, there's the righteous man who honours God. And here are some great examples. We see that he's not stealing, he's honouring God in the temple, he's helping others. And really, he's following the Ten Commandments to the, you know, 100%. And he's loving God and he's loving others. The Bible says that this man is following the Lord and he's righteous and he's going to live. But what if this man had a wicked son? And we see that this wicked son, in verses 10 to 13... Well, he takes advantage of the poor. He commits theft and he looks to idols. This wicked man will not live. And we just see in those two little examples that the righteous and wicked are responsible for their actions. They will have to face the music sometime or another. And then we see the third generation, the great-grandson, or just the grandson. We see the wicked man has a son and this son rejects the ways of his evil father. He actually follows God's ways. And he's so generous 
He cares about the needs of others. He's not trying to disadvantage people. He's not robbing. He's actually giving to the poor and needy. And so the people hearing this at the time, they even say in the passage, wondering, why doesn't the grandson share the guilt of his wicked father? And so God then speaks through Ezekiel, as he has been doing. And he says in verse 20, the one who sins is the one who will die. The child will not share the guilt of the parent, nor will the parent share the guilt of the child. The righteousness of the righteous will be credited to them, and the wickedness of the wicked will be charged against them. We see that Ezekiel diffuses the excuse the Jews were making, that yes, Israel has ended up in exile and the other punishments because of that sin they've done collectively. But they have responsibility and accountability in how they respond to the sin that they're in, how they're going to change. I think this is great because it means if you didn't have a great mother or father or guardian, that sin is not passed down. I think I want to acknowledge that doesn't mean it gives us an excuse to just do whatever we want. I mean, sin will impact you know, all our relationships. But it doesn't mean the, the guilt or the responsibility of my sin is not going to be passed down to my son. But it's important that we turn to the righteous life and we can make that decision to be prepared to answer God one day. For all of us, judgment day is coming. Unfortunately, we will all die. But how we live now will shape the future beyond death for us. We all have to stand before God one day and we have to give an account for our life to bear responsibility for the good and the bad. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, it makes it very clear, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So who is righteous? Who is unrighteous? Well, according to the book of Romans, no one is righteous. And that's exactly why Jesus came. Because we are unable to save ourselves. We have a record of, of everything that we've ever done. And God knows about it. He knows about the good stuff. He knows about the bad stuff. He knows every single bad thing we've ever done. Even the secret, shameful things that we would never want anyone to know about. We are responsible for what we do. In some way, because of sin, we all deserve death and judgment. We deserve an eternity without God. But God doesn't want that for anyone. He doesn't want the wicked to perish. He wants them to, to repent, to say sorry and turn around and live for him. Um, in verse 23, which is probably not on the screen, but I'll read it to you. The Lord says, Do I take pleasure in the death of the wicked? declares the Sovereign Lord. Rather, am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and live? It's important that we get it right with God because he's our maker, he's our Lord, he deserves all praise, honour and glory. I love in Psalm chapter 8, you know, God makes the universe, he makes the stars, the sun, the sky. Of all the amazing things in this world, he made us and he is mindful of us. That means we fill God's thoughts. Who is God to you? Is he someone that you only pay attention to on a Sunday? Do you see God as just your mate? Or perhaps what we need to do is see God as our 
almighty, powerful, holy, merciful and mighty king. The true king that belongs to sit on the throne of your heart. When we realise who God really is and what he's done for us, we would pay him that reverent, deep respect and honour that he so deserves. So how do I get it right? How do I get right with God? What makes me righteous? A great answer for Sunday school people is Jesus. Jesus is the answer. If you ever go to kids' church and you don't know what to say, if you say Jesus, they can't actually say you're wrong. Like They would have to go, well, you're kind of right. But in this scenario, you are 100% right. 1 Peter 3.18 tells us of the marvellous reality that we can have in God. Let me read it to you. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. No amount of good work will get you into heaven, but Jesus will. Again, throughout the, all of Ezekiel, but even the rest of the Bible, there's that urgency of repent and live. And Haley mentioned before, you know, we say the confess, confession at church, and it's so important that we're actually really mindful of it. We don't just go through the senses. Um, because it's really important that we say that with God, because we're actually saying sorry. And when we do that, we, we are still taking responsibility for our sins, people. It's not just like a, you just say these words and that happens. We're actually confessing our sins. We're acknowledging, yep, I've stuffed up. It's on me. But the beautiful thing is, that's exactly why Jesus came. He is our substitute. He takes all our, our sin. In fact, he takes the sin of the humanity. And he stood before God and took full responsibility for every bad thing I've ever done. He's taken responsibility for every bad thing we have ever done. Jesus, who had no sin, became sin. He took on the wrath of God so that we could actually be righteous and have hope beyond death. When we grasp how sinful we are, we grasp just how much Jesus really loves us. And therefore, begs the question, wouldn't you want to love him back? You know, I think about that passage and you look at the righteous man or any righteous person in the Bible and we start to compare ourselves and you'll notice that we all fall short. Even just looking at the righteous stuff that person does in Ezekiel, imagine if I put my name there. Jimmy does this. He honours God in this way. He gives to the poor. It's not like this perfect righteous person. Like, to be honest, I can't put my name there in the Bible and go, hey, that's me. I'm not righteous. But because of what Jesus has done for you and I, we can definitely put our name there and say, I am righteous, because it all comes from him, not from what I do. <laughs> Lastly, I want to talk about living the righteous life. Jesus gives us a second chance. We turn from our old ways and we live God's ways. If we have repented and we believe in what Jesus has done, it looks like a changed life. Isn't it interesting in that passage when Ezekiel describes the difference between the righteous and the wicked? You know, their life's going to reflect, I guess, where they're at with God, their attitude. And what I mean by that is that the righteous care about loving God and others, while the unrighteous care only about themselves. There's no care or thought towards God. Therefore, if we believe our righteousness comes from Jesus, it would look like a righteous life. We would be living each day knowing that I've got to answer before God one day. And I think part of this 
is recognising that as we do this, we're going to stuff up. We're going to make mistakes. We're not always going to get it right. Have a look at Ezekiel 18, 24. It'll be up on the screen. It says, But if a righteous person turns from their righteousness and commits sin and does the same detestable things the wicked person does, will they live? None of the righteous things that person has done will be remembered because of the unfaithfulness they are guilty of and because of the sins they have committed, they will die. This can be really hard to hear and it can make us kind of scared. And in some way it should because really like, it's a powerful reminder that the strongest Christians can fall, and if we don't think it will happen to us, chances are it will. And this is not to say that God completely abandons you when you stuff up. Like, the Bible says that there's nothing can separate you from the love of God. He is always holding on to us, but whether we're holding back onto Him, that's another story. But we need to remember that it's Jesus that makes us righteous, but He sustains us. Each day. He's the only one that can actually help us stand before God's judgment and be completely blameless. Perfect. You can be holy. I think living the righteous life could be taking that example from what Ezekiel had said about the righteous man. I just thought it was so interesting to see, there's quite a lot of examples of what the righteous man does, but in the one that stood out to me the most was that idea of generosity. We see that this person is... You know, not even stealing, not even disadvantaging people, but they're actually giving willingly, and especially to those in need. And generosity is something that perhaps we could talk more about and we could do more of. I know I constantly need to work on it. You know, living the righteous life would be being generous, as God has been so generous to us that he would give up his one and only son for us. I mean, think about Mother's Day. Like, I mean, the worst thing a mum could do is, like, give their child away perhaps but in this case God has done this for us he's given up his child so that we could actually have a second chance and now now we're part of God's family God generously gave his son for us we did not deserve it we, he didn't have to do that but he wanted to do that and you realise that we were unable to save ourselves With generosity, for some it can be very easy to do. And sometimes, you know, I think the great thing I've seen at this church, which I'm always encouraged by, is people are very generous with their money. And again, I want to thank you for those that continue to donate what you can. But I think the one thing I always find challenging is, are we generous with our time? The thing you will never get back. Are you willing to give up time to serve Jesus? You know, God has given each and every one of us gifts and talents to use for his kingdom and so really, like, we need to not only answer, I guess, in terms of where we're at with God and our righteousness, and through Jesus, of course, but we need to answer for what we are not doing for God. Because God has prepared works for you and I to do. And if we're not doing those works that God has blessed us and prepared for us to do, what, what are you going to say to God when you see him face to face? I was just too busy. I just didn't have the time. We're going to all stand before God one day and we cannot make excuses. It's not going to cut it. We need to take responsibility. And when we do that, we realise how much we need Jesus. And so therefore, it calls us to really live, live the risen life, live the righteous life.
live a life for Jesus. How about I pray for us? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much um, that through your son Jesus, we have a second chance. As we read Ezekiel, the one who sins is the one who will die. And Lord, you took our place. You died for us. And so that we could actually be called righteous, we can be forgiven, and we can not die, but we get to be part of your family for all eternity. And so, Father, help us to get right with you, to repent, to say sorry, to turn around, and to not just say this, but actually we're going to live a changed life, a life that's wanting to honour you, and a life that's wanting to just be generous and live the righteous life that you call us to be. And I do pray this in your son's name. Amen.